This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something. I've been coerced into watching tonight's movie. You do have books in the 24th century. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett and I'm joined today from the NEC, the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, by Tony Black. Hi Tony, how are you? I'm very wet right now. We're, we're, it's severe warning, severe weather warning conditions. We're sort of podcasting <laughs> while getting soaked, really. But apart from that, I'm fine. We are. We've, we've got a small uh, canopy over our heads, so you, you know we're just about surviving the Ferenginar-style deluge here. But uh, you know, good weekend to choose to spend the whole weekend indoors, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty good, pretty good weekend. And this is a good, it's a good event, really, to do that. Um, you know, destination Star Trek, which second year running for us, isn't it? I think since we uh, since we came here. So I came in 2016. Uh, only for the Friday, actually, weirdly enough. And I was trying to get to uh, out of work and rush here for the interviews with people like that. Was that was the year that William Shatner went on morning TV in the UK in his pajamas and had a row with 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 the, <laughs> with the people? It was brilliant, um, but I missed all that sadly. But yeah, um, I've done it for th- this will be three out of the last four years, uh, and it's fun as ever, really. We've seen some good panels already, haven't we? We were at the Patrick Stewart panel this morning. Uh, 2,200 people, I think. Most of them paying 25 quid a pop. So anyone who's good at their maths can work out the the budgetary, uh, <laughs> you know, the bottom line on that one. It must have been a, a pretty lucrative one. But um, great to see him on stage. Great to hear a little bit about the, the Picard show. Some very tiny nuggets of information, I think, seeping out just about. Um, we're going to go and see a panel uh, later on today with David Warner, I think, who uh, both you and I, Tony, are huge fans of. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me personally, both within Star Trek, but also um, I was lucky enough to see him playing full staff in Stratford wow. for the RSC. Wow. Unfortunately, only in Henry the Fourth Part One. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't manage to get a ticket to Part Two, and I've always sort of regretted it because that's the <laughs> that's really the kind of killer. Uh, part in a way for that character but even in part one he although there was his very funny man which you wouldn't necessarily think of with david warner you think of him as quite serious but he played the comedy brilliantly but also with that kind of streak of sort of simmering tragedy underneath was kind of layered in there um 
So it'll be very interesting uh, to see him. We had Patrick Stewart already in his panel talking a little bit about some of the parallels um, between his kind of Shakespearean background, very much like David Warner, Shakespearean, Royal Shakespeare Company actor, uh, famously played Hamlet, played this kind of Hamlet in the 60s that um, blew everyone away because it was so modern and different and, and revolutionary, really. Uh, and Patrick Stewart was talking a little bit about what he brought from that kind of classical background into Next Gen. The, the key detail... Um, that I hadn't heard before, I don't know if this is a story he's, he's been telling for donkey's years and I just haven't picked up on it, was that he said that he was the only member of the cast who knew what to do with, with his hands because there were no pockets in the Starfleet <laughs> uniforms. Uh, and he said he'd been working in tights for the last, you know, yeah. 15 years or whatever. So that wasn't a problem for him. Yeah. It was, uh, 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 I hadn't heard that either. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed when he was talking about how he started in rep and he'd started in all these theatre companies and the only place that turned him down was Birmingham, which is where we are right now, which yeah. is my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> so I almost worked in Birmingham. Uh, I'm pretty sure if he asked them now, they'd, they'd give him a yeah. slot, I think. I think, I think they'd go, mm, go on then. All right. Yeah. But yeah, um, he, uh, he, he never quite worked here. Uh, but yeah, there's some, there's some great sort of theatrical people in, in Star Trek. I mean, Warner particularly, David Warner, I love him in um, Time After Time as well. The, right. uh, the Have you never seen that? No, no. It's a great film. Nick Meyer, Nick Meyer yeah. Um, his second movie, I think. I think he did after the 7% seven Solution or 70%. Right. The Sherlock Holmes one, anyway. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's basically playing Jack the Ripper who travels through time in that. And it, it's not nearly as ludicrous as it sounds. It's actually really good. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's just, he's one of those people who's, you know, you can put him in almost any role and he's great, you know. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's like you, when, you, when you hear like Patrick Stewart and these guys talking about Star Trek you you know I think Stuart was talking about the they were talking about the idea of a company in his panel and the idea of it being a very sort of theatrical experience even though you're filming a TV show you know and you're doing a few quite a lot of pages a day and it's it's the actual rigours of that but in that it felt theatrical doing the next generation that was interesting hearing him talking about that about how it did equate to being on stage, you know? It's quite heightened. It's quite heightened. The language in some ways is quite sort of specialised. Um, it's not uh, sort of kitchen sink drama, if you know what I mean. And I think that's one reason they, they no. often did go to those yeah. kind of actors when they were casting. I mean, actually, uh, at the opening ceremony uh, last night, J.G. Hertzler, I don't know a huge amount about J.G. Hertzler's background, but just in his sort of two minutes on stage, he got up and bellowed uh, a few lines of Shakespeare uh, in a very kind of theatrical way yeah. that actually you could see it, a, a direct line almost between that kind of delivery and someone like Martok who is a kind of larger yeah. than life um, character so I think there's always been those sort of links uh, between those worlds and actually funny enough I mean talking about repertory theatre a year ago when we were here we recorded a podcast talking about Star Trek and, and kind of the repertory yeah, idea and yeah. the kind of playing different characters mm. and so on but one of the things you do get in repertory theatre is very little preparation time Patrick Stewart saying today he never he didn't get to know the cast of the Picard series. I found this kind of strange because we've always heard how what a transformative thing it was for him with the next gen cast to finally sort of let those barriers down and get to know them after a year or so. Well, it seems like the same things happened again. He said basically he was working so hard he didn't really ever 
exchange words with any of them off set until they'd pretty much wrapped filming or until they went to their first convention together and then they went out for dinner and you kind of got to know them more. But there is that kind of similarity with a show like that where you're getting your sides every night or whatever and you're, you're learning your scripts and, and really trying to stay on top of it. And a repertory company where you're, you're playing a different role every week. And actually David Warner in Chain of Command um, as I understand it he was only cast like a day or two before they started filming I can't remember what the whole story was but That's he crazy. which is amazing because you think of that as like one of the great guest performances yeah. in Next Gen and he had zero time with it I think I'm sure I read even he was reading some of the lines because he hadn't been able to <laughs> learn them you know but that is what you get with that kind of performer who is so able to like switch it on yeah. uh, bring so much to that character that they can pretty much turn up yeah. and do the job and just wipe the floor with everyone else yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you, you get you get that you get that feeling with a lot of what you know you can kind of give these guys anything particularly and they'll make it work like that and i mean you know obviously warner played gorkun didn't he yeah you know and you mentioned hertzler you do you can feel the the shakespearean aspect of klingons particularly and that's something that nicholas meyer really brings out isn't it in the undiscovered country this idea of the fact that the Klingon pe- people, there, there is a very sort of Shakespearean tragedy bent to it all, to what they are. And I think that's why you, you know, you, if you put these great sort of theatrical people in these roles, they can, they can make magic out of something that other people might not in the same way, you know? Well, well absolutely. And with Star Trek Six, I mean, it's got the Shakespearean title, The Undiscovered mm, Country. Mm. You've got Christopher Plummer, again, great Shakespearean mm. actor. I mean, we may be thinking of him yeah, from The Sound of Music, but also huge, uh, you, you know, kind of Shakespeare uh, kind of rep well, he background did, um, as well. Julius Caesar, didn't he, with uh, Shatner? Was he in that production? Was he? I didn't realise that. They, or it might That's not have been that, but they, I'm sure they did shake. I think you're right. They, we talked about this a, a couple of years ago, did didn't we? we? They, oh, we were they, repeating they ourselves now. We, we reached are. that point. <laughs> <This> is, yeah. <laughs> Primitive culture redux. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, you, you're right. They did. They had worked together yeah. uh, on various It might not have been that as well. That Maybe it wasn't that one. Who knows? But anyway, it's true. You, you, know, you bring those people and you bring that kind of quality. And I think that's one of the things Nick Meyer was looking for. So interestingly, with that film, you've got three... Uh, classically trained you know you've got William Chatner who we might think of as a kind of TV star but yeah, did have that background you've got Christopher Plummer who we might think of as a movie star but actually has that background you've got David Warner who you, you know is, is not so well known I've always thought I, I sort of feel it's a bit of a crime that David Warner is not up there with right. the McKellens Absolutely. and the yeah. Jacobys and no. you know he I mean where's his knighthood because he has been putting in and he's in a lot you know you'll see yeah. him cropping up in, in stuff and TV stuff he was in Doctor Who a couple of years ago um, he was, he and he takes you know not necessarily the kind of star billing no. parts but always does a phenomenal job with them mm. whether he's had five minutes with the script or you know or whatever he's just one of those actors that is very very reliable to really bring something special yeah he's he's what i've always thought he was brilliant he's he's one of them who i don't yeah i don't understand a bit like um this is he's not been in star trek but timothy spall is another actor i just think should be knighted he's one of the greatest actors ever and he's not quite he's probably a little bit more well known than david warner but he gets some leading roles at least doesn't he he's yeah. had like he's been headlining films yeah. sort of in more recent years anyway yeah, 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 and exactly. going back a while it, he has but i know what you mean he's not kind of up there in that no. um and establishment right exactly and and david warner's definitely one of them and you think is it because is it because with him there was there's always been sort of that level of more of a level of dangerous charisma than some of the others, you know? Like, he's he's always... He, he, even in the Star Trek roles he plays, he's, he's, he's playing people who are, you know, either 
malevolent or he's playing people who are a bit damaged like like the character in um Star Trek 5 sort of Lucian he's smoking yeah, he? and he's yeah, a bit yeah, kind yeah. of yeah you're right he's he's you know not exact not what you'd think of typically as a Star Trek no, character really no. at all and he's and he's you almost can't imagine him in that kind of leading man role you know I mean Patrick Stewart sort of broke the mould a bit really with Picard didn't he I mean he talked a lot about that about how you know at first he thought they'd, they'd cast the wrong person and he told this great story about how he'd come to the next generation through a bottle of whiskey in 1972 that led to Robert Justman and then led to all that and it it's like that he you know he wouldn't even in the 80s and especially, it would especially be the case now he wouldn't be a traditional kind of heroic leading man role and they broke that mould and, and he became that but you, you almost can't imagine someone like Warner with that edge to him as being in that part yet he has the charisma he has the, he has the acting ability and I suppose I suppose that's the difference isn't it that's where you know would Patrick Stewart have played Gul Madred as well? You know, you wonder that. You know, you think, oh, I don't know. I mean, and maybe because he hasn't, he didn't play that role. You know, if you flip them round, maybe he could. Maybe, maybe there is an alternate universe where David Warner was a really good John Luke Picard. You know, I don't know. I can't see that because I think actually, I mean, it's an interesting question. Obviously, Patrick Stewart is phenomenal. You know, I, I personally think he's by a country mile the best actor that Star Trek has yeah. had and it's just I, mean, I feel like he, a bit like with the X-Files people say the same thing about Gillian Anderson yeah. it, it, yeah. someone that they kind of landed that's in a league that they maybe almost didn't deserve not to yeah. disparage uh, you, you know anyone else or whatever but like really kind of uh, very high level um, there and kind of able to elevate everything but actually I'm not so sure I'm trying to think I have seen one or two films where Patrick Stewart plays a villain and it's not said that he can't do it but I do think that one of the things that's quite special about him is that kind of not just authority in terms of command and so on but moral authority mm. and that's what you get with Jean-Luc Picard that is why he is the most idealistic of the captains yeah. in some ways uh, the most principled and of course you get that again with X-Men you know his character in X-Men there it's him and McKellen yeah, I think McKellen yeah, yeah. Is, has more in common with David Warner that slightly yeah. kind of mercurial quality that slightly yeah. kind of um, a bit of an edge to him whereas Patrick Stewart you feel like you're getting uh, sort of what you see is what you get do you, do you know what I mean you can trust this man yeah. uh, as well as it's innate uh, and that, it's and like part of his yeah uh, performance as Picard is that he's absolutely someone that you would go to the wall for you know you would trust him you know he will never do the wrong thing um, and I don't know whether that's something that you, you, if you I mean it'd be an interesting experiment to swap those roles one of the things they're doing this afternoon actually is various of the actors here are I believe they're doing script readings and I, I wasn't quite sure what they were reading to begin with because on the program it just says they're doing a script reading but in fact apparently um, what they're doing is is reading roles from other Star Trek series so they have and you get this with Doctor Who because I don't know if you've seen the videos they made of you know um, Sylvester McCoy doing a Peter Capaldi speech no, or they've kind of been like sort of remixing <laughs> sort of greatest hits of Doctor Who where they get to perform a, yeah. along the idea that you know these are all the same character and that really something that's written for one Doctor should actually should be and yeah. it would be performed differently and it yeah. might read slightly differently but actually mm. the kind of heart of what they're saying should be it's yeah. the same character Similar. speaking so it's kind of interesting question but I actually thought um because uh, I was speaking to Dominic Keating and Connor Trinier yesterday, because they're yeah. doing one of these um, sessions. David Warner's doing one as well this afternoon. Um, and I sort of assumed when it said script reading, it was the two of them that they were going to be doing it like a reenactment of Shuttlepod One. Because people have been saying for years, you know, oh, Shuttlepod One is like a stage play. It's just the two of them in this tiny room uh, with a bottle of, uh, you know, 
bourbon or whatever and, a, and a, uh, <laughs> kind of and it's quite dramatic it's quite sort of self-contained and so on uh, so i sort of assumed that they were actually making good on that not least because they've actually put a shuttle pod not an enterprise shuttle pod but a little uh, a, a, a voyager one i think did delta fly have shuttle pods i don't know i mean delta fly sort of is a is a is shuttle, a shuttle isn't it oh yeah, i don't know yeah. no this looked more like i don't, I don't know what it, to be honest I don't, someone will will inform us what exactly it's meant to be but it looks like sort of voyager era yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> i had my picture taken next year i should have asked someone. <laughs> what is this? i know exactly yeah but um but that is one of the kind of photo opportunities they've been doing that yeah is this little shuttle pod so again that sort of put me in the mind that this was maybe what they're doing but as far as i know that is not actually no. what they're doing but it did make me think i mean as much as star trek has attracted these kind of actors with theatrical backgrounds um there are also those episodes and they're often very well received episodes where star trek really goes into that sort of almost black box theater mode strips away yeah. all the kind of special effects strips away the space battle strips away yeah. the kind of geopolitics strips away the big picture because you know there is a kind of space opera element that is very big and broad and expansive and goes into quite small personal often like two-handers i mean so there's that episode shuttle pod one be a good example of that um even actually even just within enterprise there's that episode where archer and um degra are stuck in a shuttle oh, yeah. and, uh, and in this stuff going on outside but a yeah. lot of it is the kind of intimate dynamic between the two of them chain of command part two one reason it's so different from chain of command part one is it is basically just those two guys in a room you know pretty much chewing the scenery uh putting in these blinding performances i mean patrick stewart uh researching with his videos from amnesty and you know really putting in one of his best performances in the show david warner as i say you know reading it off the back of an envelope and and nailing it (laughs) somehow and just really creating that incredible dynamic and that incredible um interaction between them um and then the other one that comes to mind for me of course is duet you know many people say best episode or one of the best episodes deep space nine most of which is two characters you know in 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 one room essentially again hashing it out waltz is another good one yeah absolutely waltz would be another good example and that's and you know there are other things going on in these kind of episodes but they they are saying they are all about trying to capture what you would feel on stage I think in many ways you know you feel like when as they're being written they are being written with a theatrical bent in mind and that you know the writers want to imagine that you would put these this on on a stage and you would have that intimacy you know and I think not everyone can do it though and that's that's the thing I mean that's that, that's why one of the reasons I love Waltz is because Avery Brooks and Mark Alamo both have the, the chops to do that you know David Warner and Patrick Stewart obviously do um, and, and and that's why I mean, I, I, we, we joked just before this. I can't remember Shuttle Pod one. <laughs> like, you know, I, you said, "Have you seen it lately?" I was like, "I can't remember any of it." I was like, "Is it in Voyager? Is it in Enterprise? <laughs> I can't even remember the show, right?" Now that could possibly be my lack of knowledge and you know heresy and all that. But also, is it because maybe we're not dealing with the same theatrical theatrical quality in terms of the performance as? we have we are in some of these others i think that could well be a part of it to be honest and i feel i feel slightly guilty saying this because i do know that a lot of people that's one of their favorite enterprise episodes they love it i love the idea of it i like i applaud the concept of it i've never quite felt that it works for me and this is partly because i'm just looking over my shoulder to check that dominic keating isn't sitting behind me (laughs) as he was in the bar last night but before i say this but you know i have said on record before malcolm reed is not my favorite character in enterprise or in star trek uh, by quite a long shot and i think for me that's part of it is that actually in in that episode you require quite a lot of 
not just drama but kind of charm and and you, you have to be really invested in those two characters and for me that episode doesn't work because I'm only invested in one of them and that's not really enough to sustain it somehow also I think I just have a negative association with it because funnily enough I think that was the episode that in the first run of Enterprise was the last one I watched and then I didn't tune in the following <laughs> week and I had to, actually I'd skipped a few I was in America at the time so I, I was jumping around a bit but that was the episode I remember watching it in a hotel room and just thinking oh I'm done with this uh, yeah, I've had yeah, enough yeah. and I don't know maybe that was unfair and maybe that unfairly prejudices me against it in the future uh, and I know as I say that a lot of people love that episode but for me it's never quite worked um, in, in that same way but I do I respect absolutely that for a lot of people it's a great achievement it's an, an excellent example certainly compared to something like Chain of Command or Duet um, and I think Duet's an interesting example actually because as much as I think that episode is fantastic there are odd moments in it where sometimes I feel it's, it's almost a little bit too stagey like there are just little like, lines here or there where it kind of feels to me like it slightly crosses over that boundary but I totally forgive it because I love the episode overall I think it's incredibly powerful I think the two performances <clears throat> you know almost without exception are totally blinding and that's a good example because you wouldn't necessarily have thought uh, it's, it's not Patrick Stewart and David Warner you know Nana Visitor is this unknown actress in this yeah. show yeah. they've given her a really meaty thing to do at the end of that first season and she absolutely rises to the occasion but I mean that was quite a statement of confidence in a way in that actress and in that character to give them something like that to do i don't feel i can't really think of an episode of next generation where you get something comparable with one of the you know with anyone other than picard really being handed something that kind of meaty to to sort of deal with that early on no no i'm, I'm racking my brains trying to think here really and, and it, yeah i i think it's because i mean maybe it's deep space nine and the fact that it has more of a theatricality to it in some respects than the next generation even though I think as a company the next generation is, is maybe a little bit more fluid are you you feel a bit, little bit like those performers are more geared towards television you know and the way television works and the visual side whereas you do feel with the casting with Deep Space Nine they did cast more and not just the main cast but a lot of the supporting cast you know like you mentioned JG Hertzler Andrew Robinson you know proper you know thespians I suppose who you feel were more capable of being able to pull off monologues being able to pull off these kind of intimate scenes and, and hold the screen because there's something about it you know that magnetic presence on screen and much as it's great all the next generation cast are really good in their own way I don't know if they're all magnetic performers in that can hold an episode on their own you know I think maybe the, the only other one might be Michael Dorn I feel like maybe, and again, maybe that's because he's, he's a Klingon and there's something about the way that they've written. I don't know. Maybe a lot of it's in the writing, you know, because, I mean, that's one of the things Patrick, Patrick Stewart talked about with Picard because there was a lot of, he talked, it was really interesting because he talks a lot about how it took a lot to convince him, you know, as a 35-page Bible which we'd love to get our hands on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be that would be the leak to have yeah. right, right, right round about now. Uh, is this thirty-five page document which sold this Picard series to him? See what they what they, what it was they put in there that really talked him round. Yeah, and, and and what he was saying was that you know that a lot of the appeal behind it was to, to that it was in the scripts. You know that 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 what they were going to be talking about the richness of that was going to be there. So, and that's the thing, maybe a lot of the you know these great episodes you've got to, you've also got to look at the writing and what these performers are given and 
you know, almost to all of those episodes. And maybe this is where Shuttle Pop One doesn't quite strike the same kind of chord, unless you're a big fan of those characters and that kind of thing. That it, it's what's on the page which elevates, allows these performances to really elevate, you know, what what is there, you know. And does it ever sort of transcend the the concept? I mean, you've got the kind of high concept idea of how that episode is going to work, but ultimately a lot of it is in the execution and I think you're right what Patrick Stewart was saying which I think is absolutely the case is you know with the Picard series okay we know Patrick Stewart's going to be great he you know he never gives a dud performance uh, that's pretty much guaranteed we know they're going to get another cast of, of good actors to play whatever roles they come up with we know the special effects are going to look top notch we've seen Discovery we know they can do all of that it's going to have high production values it's going to be uh, classily packaged the only real question is what is the story going to be and, and are they going to make it a compelling story and even you know we've talked about discovery i mean uh i don't want to rehash all our thoughts about (laughs) discoveries you know pros and cons or whatever but i mean certainly for me i would say my biggest or general bugbear with discoveries i feel like all of that stuff is i feel i've got all the ingredients for something truly fantastic but it's the kind of broad it's that 35 pages it's it's the outline documents that i would be looking at thinking well is this really the story you want to tell do you know what i mean you've got these great characters you've got really talented writers you've got amazing uh visuals you know great really great directors they've got a kind of roster of really great directors all of that is in place but ultimately what's going to make it sink or swim is you know what is in the outline who what are the stories that we're getting and, and are they up there with you know if you think of next gen it's those classic you know it's something like chain of command it's something like uh, darmok something you know these stories yeah. that really stand the test of time are we going to get more of those you know and, and you know some of these some of these ones you mentioned there from the 90s they don't they don't they all look great no <laughs> some of them are quite cheap cheap looking you know they're on, they're on basic sets you know and it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because you're hooked you're magnetically hooked to what's going on and that's the thing with some elements of certainly discovery which is the newest stuff the visuals are all there it looks amazing is it always on the page is it always in the performances i don't personally think so and i I don't think it's that you've necessarily got some of the performers are better than others but i think you do have the capacity for some of these people to really pull something like that off i mean you know jason isaac's for one he's a great example of someone who again like you mentioned earlier is maybe a little bit like richer an actor than than the franchise sometimes you know he's, he's more along those lines for me of a, of a Patrick Stewart and that kind of people in terms of getting someone you're like wow this guy's an actor first and foremost you know there's a lot going on there absolutely and, and I suppose maybe another way of looking at it is you know you're saying some of those episodes from the 90s maybe we look back on them now a bit like you know when we were growing up maybe we were looking back on the episodes from the 60s mm. thinking oh you there's something slightly creaky about it yeah. I don't think Star Trek was ever kind of creaky to the level of something like Doctor Who where oh, you no, can literally no, no. see the, the furniture moving <laughs> and so on or EastEnders this week they broadcast an episode where someone opened a door and behind the door was something saying set in use please no. do not strike <laughs> it was on screen it was on screen yeah went out um, <laughs> so it's not quite at that level but I suppose what I'm getting at is that with those kind of great episodes great writing great performances great relationships great dynamics like that actually you could put that in a black box studio if you put Patrick Stewart and David Warner on stage together in a room with 50 people and they performed that episode uh, it would be electrifying to watch you know and it doesn't need any of the paraphernalia and that's the sense in which I suppose it is theatrical it is about kind of bringing it down bringing it uh, so zeroing in on the the human beings in front of you because really I suppose that's what you get with theatre that's what you get in some ways with a convention you get that kind of there isn't the screen in between us and them you know you're seeing these people in their 
real, you know, yep. real life identities and so on. But you're, you, you know, you're physically present with them in the way that you are with theatre, and you can get that quality on screen with these kind of episodes that we're talking about. And I think that's one reason that they, you know, they do really resonate potentially is that you do feel um, that they draw you in. I suppose it's the difference between. Um, I remember when I, because I originally trained as an actor, and I remember someone talking at one point about the the difference between a performance that you know you throw out to the audience and the performance that kind of draws them into you do you know what I mean and you get them leaning forward on their seats because not not so that you're not loud enough or whatever but that there's something that you're kind of um it's it's finding that sort of balance where it's not just like you go and see uh, the latest Star Wars movie or whatever and you're kind of sitting back with your popcorn your drink or whatever and it's just being blasted in your face you know it's that kind of thing that makes you lean forward and makes you think I, I want to get closer to this somehow well I saw the um recently Fleabag on stage now I don't know if anyone's familiar with the British sitcom Fleabag sitcom comedy series not really a sitcom um, with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and she does a, a one woman show and I, I, went, I didn't see it on the stage I saw it at the cinema via the National Theatre Live kind of thing and uh, it's, it's obviously a different experience when you've got that screen barrier than it would be in front of her but it is that very much that kind of performance that is all about drawing you in you know intimate and in, there is a very intimate and you know it's, it's very different from Star Trek obviously because the subject matter is very different and it's it's a comedy first and foremost but there are moments of genuine tragedy and pathos in that whole thing moments where you don't you, there are moments sometimes where you might laugh and you're like oh my god I shouldn't be laughing at that or moments where you, you're just genuinely on the verge of crying because it's desperately sad and she can go she can switch between the two really quickly and that's the sign and that there, are, there are points I think in certain Star some of the best Star Trek episodes with the theatricality where you do have that you know you do have that sense of of being just drawn in and hooked and it's it's one of the it's a rare show to to do that really. So certainly in terms of a show that's primarily all about visuals and it's all about new world, different worlds, and all this kind of thing. There's not many, sh- and that, that's one of the reasons that I I've missed that. And I ha- kind of hope Picard can do a little bit more of that, even though it seems to be much more in the modern mode of action first and drama later. I'd like to think there are certain points of it where we can really see Patrick Stewart act, you know, as opposed to just deliver great lines in in his great way I want to see him given the the meat to chew on you know and you hope even for a show that has to be propulsive and has to tell a story that you'll get that and that won't be lost because it just would it would feel like a real lost opportunity wouldn't it for someone of his caliber absolutely I think Fleabag's an interesting example actually because although that was a very successful TV series uh, of course that started off as as you said as a one woman show but not even a one woman show in the West End it was a one woman Edinburgh show because I saw recently someone tweeted out the original Kickstarter page for Fleabag it's still online you can go and watch their like pitch video where they're all like saying give us some money we need 3,000 quid to put this show on in Edinburgh I mean you know amazing to go from those sort of humble that humble beginning to the level of success that that show and particularly Phoebe Waller-Bridge has had um but you see she again is a supremely talented writer I mean you know now she's writing James Bond films and you know getting work in Hollywood and all that sort of thing but it doesn't matter because the writing is good enough and and she's a very good actor as well you know you can just have her on a stage I mean you know if you've ever been to the Edinburgh Fringe probably like in the back of a pub somewhere or under (laughs) I did a show there once that was in a kind of cellar where there was like water (laughs) dripping down on the audience throughout the whole show I mean you know you're not (laughs) yeah pretty much you're not a million miles away from from where we're recording right now but I mean you know it's all about the performance it's all about the 
the writing it's all about it is about that intimacy because you're not getting even the level of kind of whiz bangs that you get if you go to a kind of professional uh, uh, you you know sort of commercial theatre in a sense you're getting absolutely it's stripped down to that level Um, and it does make me think yeah you're right I think what we hope with the Picard series is that we're going to get you want to know that like when they did the script reading for that show everyone was on the edge of their seats because that's when there isn't any of the special effects there isn't any of that stuff going on there's got to be something you know really electrifying on the page and hopefully you know they've got a great writing team together they've got a Pulitzer Prize winning writer uh, running the whole thing you know hopefully this is going to deliver on that yeah and it's it's hard to say isn't it because you know I the trailer suggests something different you know but then trailers always do don't they trailers have got to sell it to the masses I'd be surprised if Patrick Stewart signed up to anything where it's just going to be at whiz bang action and nothing else you know he's going to have wanted a really serious dramatic through line for his character and, and the chance to act otherwise he wouldn't have done it you know and as, as I said he resisted he said he said I went to the meeting and I, it was a no it was a no 100% it was a no and, and something changed his mind we don't really know what that is yet he did su- suggest it was the world building to some extent and what they'd done with it but something in that changed his mind and it'll be interesting to see if it's, if it's that something is something that allows him to act and allows him to bring that out in Picard because let's face it the, Picard's best moments <coughs> excuse me Picard's best moments are ones that are where you know he's, he's, he's delivering a monologue or he is he's a, you know like there are four lights you know or things like the inner light you know where he goes through something really powerful something you could almost imagine on stage and I think that is that is the core element of someone like that and you just want to what's the point in bringing Picard back if you're not going to do that absolutely and and you know i suppose this is interesting you know what are star trek's roots is star trek's roots in kind of space opera is it in you know if you think even back to the original series or is it in i mean everyone the thing everyone loved about the original series was these three characters and the conflict between them and you could you know stick them in an elevator for five minutes and that and you get a scene out of that you know and deep space nine again one of the reasons people love that series the character interplay the kind of drama that you know we talk about writing but it's really it's, it's specifically writing for characters as much as writing for plot uh I would say that's that those are the kind of strengths um and you you know voyager which i love i think a lot of people would say the thing about voyagers they had good sort of high concept storytelling maybe not quite such an emphasis on the characters um and certainly when you come to picard it's there's a reason that's the character that everyone is so excited to see coming back because he is such a rich such a deep such an interesting uh compared to the rest of the next gen cast i mean i think in some ways you know maybe it is a good thing that he's the one that this series is sort of focusing on because he's the one with the real they've always sort of made it his story particularly going through the movies and everything they sort of had to do that to some extent but um he is the one that you know can always carry the episode you know you you could you couldn't you couldn't have brought the others back without him you know, it, it was. I mean, you, you can say you could probably say that for the majority of of the shows. Oddly enough, maybe the one that might get away with it is Deep Space Nine for a plot reason more than anything else. But ultimately, I think if you were to do a, re, a revamped DS Nine and do a Series Eight, the whole through line would be: Is Cisco coming? When is Cisco coming back? You know. So ultimately, it would lead back into him. I think the other the other captain, though, who I think is is towards Patrick Stewart in terms of that theatricality and that skill is probably Janeway is probably Kate Mulgrew because she again is a great Broadway sort of actress you know she played Catherine Hepburn and we also attended the uh, novel panel with um, John Van Sitters and Una McCormack James Swallow 
and there was a reveal in that, wasn't there, about how Una McCormack is writing a Catherine Janeway novel. Una McCormack. An autobiography, even. Yeah, an autobiography. And Una's obviously been on this show with speaking to you, Duncan. Um, and she's, yeah, she's doing one of the autobiographies. And there's, done a, there's been a Kurt one, there's been a Picard one. And she's where's, a, where's Cisco's autobiography? Uh, That's what I wanted to know. Well, when he gets <laughs> Are they waiting, they're waiting for him to get back and write it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, if he writes it in kind of profit speak, it'll be basically unreadable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need him to get back and he can write it as a human. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but or, or just get Jake to ghost it. I mean, yeah, surely yeah, that would exactly, be the obvious yeah. choice. Jake right? can just do it, yeah. Um, but she, yeah, and you know, she talks about it. She's researching Kate Mulgrew and reading about her performing Hepburn on stage and all this kind of thing. And, you know, and reading her own biographies, right. which are fantastically written as yeah. well. I don't know if you've read any of Kate Mulgrew's should, books, but really, really beautiful writing, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And she was she was here last year for Destination Star Trek. And I remember her panel. You in, I don't know if you were in yeah, her panel. I, was, I, I thought that was fantastic. She was really great, you know, even, even just talking as herself. She's really magnetic and funny and charming on stage. So, and she brought. Much as all, I, I, I don't love Voyager. I think she was a great character. She was really well performed. And I really hope one day she pops back up in, in Picard. And I think there's a good chance she might, to be honest, in, in a future season, Janeway. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Because I think she's still a really great actress. She's still performing. She's still involved in various different things. And she brought a potential Shakespearean gravitas, I think, to that. You know, And you don't always get that in performers. But that's why my frustration with something like Voyager is that it didn't always again it didn't always give people the chance to do that kind of stuff you know and when it did potentially it was at its best so you know I think the roots of some of the best Star Trek are when it feels like it's people in a room getting to the core of humanity you know and exploring that through drama through performance because in a way ultimately that's what Star Trek is to a certain extent I mean, if you think of something like an episode like the Corbomite maneuver that is almost a stage play in a way but basically all of the action of that episode takes place on the bridge pretty much it's a very tense very uh you know sort of um heavy weighted dramatic situation that they're in in this quite confined space and there is that sense i think of you know the bridge of the starship i think we talked about this a couple of years ago when we were talking about shakespeare you know especially if you look at the bridge of the enterprise d you can see why patrick stewart might be at home there because it is basically a shakespearean stage it's got your doors on either side you've got a throne in the middle you know you've got this kind of um uh, ramp coming down you know it's a very theatrically designed space even more so than the original series bridge but the original series bridge as well you've got these kind of balconies around the back in effect you've got la- levels and layers um you know it is a very and maybe that resonates on some level with us kind of historically that we kind of i don't know even unconsciously sort of yeah. pick up on that but the kind of dramatic potential of that space is huge and that is really the core of where these stories obviously no, stories don't take place wholly on the bridge but that is the kind of central uh location that's the central place the that's the heart that is the, the stage yeah. that is set for these uh stories to take place all the bridges stage <laughs> and on it there are many players and that's that's maybe the thing of um discovery and that a lot of discovery doesn't actually take place on and not as much takes place on the bridge especially in the first season of that show mm-hmm. you know there's so much more of it either in different places different parts of the ship burnham's quarters that kind of thing you don't get the feeling of the bridge in quite the same way in that show and it's very big their bridge as well it's huge it's 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 very slick it looks it, it looks good but there's something very 
you can't really imagine them kicking back and kind of relaxing there whereas yeah. you know and partly that's you know with next gen obviously we had like the carpeting on the walls and everything yeah. but you you sort of got that sense and with ds9 even in ops even though yeah. that's quite a forbidding environment in some ways because of the cardassian design you'd get little bits of gossip going on you get kind of chat i feel like you get a little bit of that with discovery with the you, you know the, the um detmer and uh you, you know some of those kind of lower down the the the, the kind of uh, lower ranking characters mm. in a sense but it doesn't really feel like a relaxed workplace in the no. same way some of those previous bridges did it, it definitely feels more like a kind of military yeah. command center somehow and maybe that in a way that that makes sense that's sort of logical we think these you, you know starfleet ships are you know they, it is like you know the navy or whatever in space or, or whatever but um maybe you lose something there because obviously in season two they get some soft furnishings they're gonna (laughs) Saru's gonna redecorate (laughs) plants everywhere all this nice futuristic stuff it could be it could be though because they're they're sort of lost in time and they're it it could be that it becomes more of a home you know it it could go down more of a voyager-ish route you know this show now in that it's they, they have to find their find it becomes more of a of a home more of a stay you know that bridge becomes more of that kind of stage for them that kind of central nexus place you'd like i'd like to think so actually because i think it it, it, it's more it feels like it's been designed more for the visual element than the performative element and i think that's that's a shame you know and i think you, you lose something on that as a result and it feels almost a bit like, you know, when you go to the theatre, often there's an, you get act breaks and you get an act break and there's a complete switch of location or we jump 10 years or something. It does almost feel like a gesture a bit like that. I suppose Battlestar Galactica did the same thing. They had a huge jump between seasons. Yeah. But um, I mean, it, just thinking about whether the kind of traditional theatrical act structures, I mean, actually Star Trek has a five act structure, at least up until, I don't know whether they still do now, but, you know, largely dictated by advertising and so on, just like Shakespeare's plays will have a five act structure, um, which is quite different to a lot of, you know, if you think of like cinema and it's cinema typically is written to a three act structure, yeah. even though you don't actually have intermissions or anything anymore. Um, but there is something about that kind of sense of, I suppose that, that, a season maybe is almost can seem almost like an act because it's got one sort of shape to it it's one sort of fairly self-contained story the way they're writing these these shows now and then there might be a real disjunct between seasons one way or another certainly it looks like that's the way we're going with discovery yeah yeah it's it's it, yeah, it's like the season is broken up into acts <laughs> which is and I, I, don't, I don't think that will happen with picard i think picard will be much more of a singular think one story running through yeah. could be well i've just recently been watching orphan black and that i'm about uh, i think i'm about halfway through the final season of that now and it really struck me i hadn't really been thinking about it but actually you know you've been watching this i mean i've been watching it over the course of a couple of months i suppose people originally would have been watching it over the course of five years i guess uh but i think only about three or four months one of the characters made a reference to something happening three months ago or something i was thinking i'm sure that was like two or three seasons ago yeah. but the yeah. time frame is so much more compressed than we're used to in a way so these are all the kind of things that are i guess up for grabs that you know old assumptions about them are maybe not necessarily going to hold true anymore we keep coming back to that i think in a lot of these discussions as older now older fans of the show and of the franchise in that there are some aspects of it changing that i think we, we 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 don't love as much as other people might really and I, I always, I always, every time we have these kind of discussions, and it comes back to this, I always then start to think: Am I, am I that old curmudgeon now? Am I that old, you know, grumpy person who just can't get out of his own way and think for in a few, you know, forward? But 
and I don't know the, honestly if that's if I am or not but I think maybe it it's you know it's it's going to change with every sort of generation really but I think the core idea of the drama was there right at the very beginning I think it was there in the 90s and I think I'd like it to still be there now and I don't always feel like it is and I think if you lose that you lose a little bit of the essence of what Star Trek can be you know and and the fact that you've now you know here got these actors talking about about this kind of thing and, and you know like you say doing these script readings you know doing these performative things which we didn't have last year you know it almost says to me that that's you know reminding people of the point of that it's I think okay yeah you might the visuals might make it come alive but you come you come for the you come for the characters you come for the performance yeah and I suppose they're emphasising that by you know they know that we're here to see the, the people in the flesh in a sense and by getting them to do not just answer the same questions and tell the same stories ad infinitum get them to actually you know do a bit of acting do something kind of potentially surprising or yeah. something that does draw you in in that way or yeah. you know maybe it's just kind of comically ridiculous because I think as I say they're swapping parts and you know who, who knows maybe uh, Dominic Keating is going to be playing Janeway or you know I don't, I don't know David Warner is Lita <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> but, you know, however, to see how, that, however actually. it comes out. Well, David Warner, as I say, was a very funny full staff. So you could be yeah, surprised. You know, you we'll wait and see. Nothing, anyway, nothing's, nothing's off the table. We'd better get off to, to his panel and see what he's yes. got in store for us there. But uh, pleasure to talk to you always, yeah. uh, Tony. And cheers on you. See you all soon. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. But good discussion. Like, I love... <laughs> You know, talking about the science and Joe, I love that you bring it up. Justin, I need to stop reading it. I'm sorry. I'm closing, doing Close my final thoughts, Close and you're window, all Justin. laughing over me. Joe, you need to keep all of this, this in. Is a, this is an intervention, Justin. <laughs> okay. Close the window. Oh my gosh. Literary tricks. I talked to Bob Klein, who I had interviewed for Saturday Morning Trek. Um, and he's like, yeah, come on over. Let's go look through my garage and see what we find. I'm like, okay. So I drive over there and I was greeted to two, you know, those fold out tables that you have for like picnics, two of those end to end with like three boxes, uh, larger than file boxes and uh, like moving boxes size and just papers and folders that all had filmation on it just brought out. Standard orbit. I bought it. I, when it first came out, I played it for like two or three days and I went, what is going on? Am I, am I missing something? Is it just, I'm not a good player. So, and then I checked on the reviews online and everyone agreed that it was not a good game and we were all correct. And introducing our newest show, The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. I, I'm so honored that I was chosen to pick Picard and as a Next Generation fan, I mean, he was one of my favorite characters. And so I wanted to, and I know how he's extra special to lots of Star Trek fans beyond even just being the character he played on the, on the series. And so I really felt a huge responsibility to try to give the fans something that, that was enjoyable but and, and honored who he was, even though it was Staying true to the fact that he is 20 years older. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Primitive Culture, and that will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all our details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take a moment now to thank our associate producers on Primitive Culture, Amy Nelson, Clara Cook and Tony Black. Amy is a presenter of many other shows on the network, and you can find her on Twitter at at Miss Amy Nelson. Clara and Tony were two of the former co-hosts of this show, and they'll be popping back from time to time. You can find Clara on Twitter at at Clara Jean MC, and Tony at at AJ Black Writer. You're blended all right.